Welcome. This is One Christian, One Topic. Today, our guest is Sister Katia Chavez. Today's topic, vocations. Let's get to it. Sister Katia, as a director of vocations for the Sister Servants of the Blessed Sacrament, what did your work consist of before the pandemic and how has it changed now? Um, my work as a vocation director is to lead women and guide them into discernment process so that they will decide to enter religious life. Before the pandemic, I used to go to schools, give presentations about vocations. I used to go to different parishes and speak at youth groups, uh, confirmation classes with young adults, and I would just explain what vocation is. When pandemic came along and I couldn't go to those um, meetings anymore to be in presence, you know, there at the, at the parishes, for a while uh, I was thinking, now what? You know, and I guess it was the same question for many people. It's like, now how is my work going to be transformed? Fortunately, there had been, before the pandemic, I had um, thought of starting a YouTube channel. So basically when um, pandemic hit, I thought this is the opportunity. This is the best time. So I created a channel and with the help of uh, other sisters, and I was able to reach out to more people and record myself with the presentation that I will go to the parishes to, to deliver. And so that way it was on air. And if someone had, um, about religious life or vocation, I would just send them the link. And that's how it changed. But I was glad because it taught me to do vocation work differently. And what has been your, what has been the feedback you've received? You know, now all of a sudden you're entering the online space. Um, you know, you create a YouTube page. You know, some comments are public, but I'm sure you probably have gotten phone calls, emails, what has been the uh, kind of uh, feedback you've, you've gotten so far? It has been very positive. I think that women have received, uh, received it very well and they appreciate it. The fact that we are more um, at, at hand, I would say, you know, in the navigating the web, they can find us there. The, um, Advantage is that women from other places of the world and even the United States can reach us and we can reach them and they don't have to come all the way to California. So they, it has been received very well. The comments have been um, very positive. It was challenging at the beginning, but I see now the results, especially because we also have virtual sessions on exploring religious life. We have had virtual retreats and women attend, you know, and, and even more women because in the past it was local, 
but now we have women from from New York, from for instance, uh, we have one who who joined us for the sessions and then eventually came over for a retreat. So it has been very positive. It has made a big impact. And I think that's one of the things that came out of the pandemic is just initiating this kind of a community through the um, internet. But you mentioned that there there were challenges. Uh, I'm intrigued because I feel like sometimes there are other parts of the uh, church that don't want to or are still thinking about entering the online space. Can you just describe what are some of those challenges that they might face and how did you kind of uh, overcome those? Yes. Uh, the challenges of mm, talking about are, are different kinds. So, for instance, the technology part, you having the, the, the appropriate camera or the, the software that we need to edit the videos to put them out there. So that was one part which I needed to learn and, and it was challenging, but beautiful. You know, the whole process, it was a learning experience and, and it was great. And the other challenge I'm talking about is what you were mentioning. It's not easy for a lot of people, especially, particularly um, religious, some religious and some church um, members, you know, accepting religious being on earth. You know, it's like, what, what are they doing there? You know, they're supposed to be in the convents. They're supposed to be there, like just praying and just keep it to themselves, you know, the, the whole message. But with pandemic, what do you do? Like you have to explore, venture out and find ways to continue uh, proclaiming the good news and proclaiming that we all have a vocation and we all need to find it because that's, go- that's going to make us happy. So those kind of challenges, you know, you have to be very careful. You have to be very uh, attentive and just follow protocols, you know, uh, do uh, what you're asked to do and, and just move on. I would say that I'm so fortunate also that I have very supportive uh, sisters who were encouraging me and helping me out and they were just saying, you know, just go for it. Let's try it and just go for it. They trusted me and I'm so happy and I'm so thankful. And I think that beginning stage, um, probably there were like small steps with, with fear, but now things are changing and evolving. And now we know it's fundamental now, you know, it's essential for vocation work. So you mentioned that you've held and I've seen you have um, had some online retreats. Uh, what has been the difference in or do you see a difference between those attendees through these online sessions as opposed to, as you mentioned before, you were doing kind of just one on one local um, retreats, like, is there a difference you're seeing between the people who are reaching out to you, attending these retreats, you know, through this online space, as opposed to before when it was more kind of just, uh, in person? Mm-hmm. Yes, I've seen a difference. I see, um, the difference mainly is in the participation of women who are far away. Like if I would have had a retreat in, in person, 
that will mean that I will only have uh, women around the area where the sisters work. But now that some of the retreats are virtual or some of the sessions are virtual, we are reaching out to more people. It's a wider space. Uh, women join us from Kenya, from Nigeria, from New York. I don't think we would have done that you know, without having our virtual retreats. And although they are very helpful and in gathering more women from all over the place, it's only the first step. Because when it comes to religious life, uh, women need to first understand what it is, you know, or learn more about religious life by talking to a sister. Uh, but if they want to go through a formal process and they are ready to enter religious life, the one-on-one -on -one presence is essential. We have to have them come over and spend some time with us uh, in the convent and then make decisions. So uh, I'll give you an example. This young lady who is in New York, she found us through the internet. So she went to our website so that we have these sessions going on. She was interested about religious life. So she connected with us and we started a process, but there was a time in which she needed to come. So she flew from New York to California. She spent a week with us. Uh, within that week, there were uh, three days of retreat. So we were able to, to interact with her. She was able to get to know us, to eat with us, pray with us, um, do the divine office and more about religion. So it's uh, virtual events are good for us first step kind of screening, <laughs> but uh, definitely uh, come and see experiences is what's going to make women um, move from discernment to decision. And how much, or what, because I'm just thinking, as you're mentioning, you know, there are, there's an interest and that's why um, people uh, attend. That's why people reach out to you. But, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm feeling that you awaken something in them. They may not necessarily be, um, religious life are, uh, you may awaken something more spiritual in them, more uh, uh, kind of discerning what they should be doing with their lives, you know, as, as a single person, as maybe married. Um, do you, how much are you uncoupling them through that process or not necessarily you, but how much do they kind of continue to reach out to you in kind of, uh, you know, because as you mentioned that there's, there's you know, such lovely things such as, you know, the uh, adoration, divine office, that within the community, you know, it, it's actually, you know, very helpful. Um, is there a drop off? Like, is there a immediate drop off when someone says they, they met with you and several times and they said, you know, I'm not interested in religious life, so I'm done? <laughs> or is there still some communication like, you know, I want to proceed kind of just uh, in staying communication, but, you know, it may not necessarily just be uh, in religious life. Yes, uh, you're mentioning two things very important. One, that through this process, many women get to know themselves so well, you know, in a, in a 
they improve their relationship with God. They improve the knowledge of themselves. And even if at the end they do not decide to enter religious life, they just gave themselves an opportunity for growth that I don't think they would have had before. And if they decide that they're not ready, because it could be that they're just not ready, it's not the time, and they finish their formal process, they could go back to their normal routines, their classes, their schedule, their work uh, that they had before. And they know that we are always there for them. You know, we, they are always welcome. They know our schedules by then. So they know when we have our evening prayers or our holy hour or adoration that they can come and pray with us. So we also have this list of constant contacts where we keep their, their information. And every time we have a reflection day or any event, uh, we invite them. We always send them that invitation and we keep them in mind. We keep them in our prayers. Um, however, mm, they don't respond the way uh, we think they would. You know, they kind of disappear. <laughs> but it's up to them, actually. You know, it's up to them. They're, they are welcomed. They are invited. We think of them. And whenever the Lord calls them, if they want to come back and resume their discernment, they know we're here. So how long is that period from when a person, like what's the average uh, time period from when a person encounters you, uh, you know, starting from a retreat, uh, just reaching out to you, and from when they move forward and decide to uh, enter religious life? Uh, and, and, you know, n- nothing specific, but just an average says so from someone like myself who has no context, like how long <laughs> it would normally take for a person uh, just to kind of introduce and then later finally decide like, you know, uh, uh, this is for me, like, what's that time period? Uh, it actually depends, you know, it depends on each individual, because if that person is constant with that communication, and that person begins a process, um, like relatively fast, that process will take from six months to a year. So if someone is inclined to religious life and formally begins the aspirancy, uh, then we start having sessions uh, with, of discernment, one-on-one, and after six, to, six months to a year, they can make a decision. And that is basically when the young lady is it's younger. This is what I've noticed, because when they are finishing high school before they actually go into college, they are at that period of time in which they're free. They, are, uh, they have more freedom to move, to decide, you know, to take their, their things and follow Jesus, you know, and enter into religious life. There's nothing, there's no obstacles, nothing that it's going to be um, an impediment for them to enter. Now, those are the ones that go the fastest. You know, those are the ones that, that take six months to a year. There are other ladies who receive the call later in their lives. So perhaps after college, they have finished and they're, they're older. And by then they have 
other obstacles that they have to face before they actually enter the convent. So for instance, they may have student debts, they may have some possessions and of their own that they have to see what to do with that before they actually join the convent because you know one of the vows that we make is poverty uh, chastity and obedience but with poverty you have to make sure that there's no debts before you enter the convent and so when you're older you may have to deal with certain things like that and so that will take more that will take probably two years mm-hmm in, in one of your videos, you mentioned or you, you provided information that the National Religious Vocation Conference, um, the data shows that 70% of new entrants consider religious life before age 21, and then 95% found the most help from meeting a sister of that congregation. Given that information, how early are you uh, engaging individuals? Um, mm -hmm. for them to kind of uh, be aware, be aware of this kind of opportunity, vocation opportunity. Mm -hmm. To respond to their vocation before 21. Okay, so there, there are various stages, you know, although yes, before 21, they have this uh, idea or desire to enter religious life. It, it didn't really start there. There, um, there's a lot going on before because a vocation is like a seed that it's planted and then it just keeps growing. And it comes to a point in which they realize, I think God is calling me, right? And that is, that is when they're like before 21 or so. In our community, what we do to help those women decide if they enter in religious life or not, or, or, or if the Lord is calling them, because we are an a, uh, education community, we have elementary schools um, and high schools. We try to build a culture of vocations. We want the students from an early age, um, kindergarten, preschool, to begin thinking that they are made in likeness and image and that they are loved and they are made uh, with a purpose in life and they will find their specific vocation. And this is a theme throughout their, their Catholic school, throughout their uh, elementary years, and also high school. So that seed has been planted in them, and the environment around is what's going to help it grow. And so it is not a surprise that before age 21, that seed already flourishes and now they are thinking of the Lord is calling me I need to respond I have a vocation and I need to follow through so that's that's what that's what we do so in elementary school but now as a vocations director what I do I go to Newman centers in colleges for instance I go, as I said before, into different parishes. So to try and help guide those um, desires from these people that may have them at the age of 17, when they're in confirmation years or in the youth groups, when they're 18, 19. So I'm there, I'm around them. So when this uh, call comes, they can reach out and say, hey, I think there is something going on in my life. Could you help me? That's my hope. 
And, and that's what, what I do in order to help those people who are interested in becoming sisters. Have you seen a difference from these students who you mentioned where they kind of are nurtured at a young age into vocations? I'm not, I'm not sure how long you've uh, had this, but ha- have, you seen, have you had the experience of seeing someone very young to now where they're graduating high school or in college where kind of you see that difference in those students, you know, for example, compared to public schools or any, anywhere else where they don't have that kind of environment? You know, have you been doing this long enough to, to see that? Because I, I would imagine, you know, that there is a huge impact if you start from kindergarten or pre-K by the time they're, you know, 15, 18, it must have, it must have done something. Yes. And thank you. Thank you so much for asking. And no, I have not like experienced like myself seeing someone young and then now they are um, realizing their own vocation, but I've heard, you know, and I've seen, uh, let me give you an example. I have, I, I went to the Newman Center to work with vocations, you know, give presentation and such. And then I found this young lady uh, whom I didn't know who she was, but she knew the sister servants of the Blessed Sacrament. So she comes close and then she goes, oh, I studied with uh, at St. Kieran's with Sister Irma and you are the sister servants of the Blessed Sacrament. And I was like, oh, wow. So you were, a, you are and she said yes I was there in third grade now she's in college she's graduating and she is thinking of becoming a sister so yes like I've seen that growth I do have to say that the family environment also has a lot to do for that vocation to to be nurtured and to flourish and to finally you know uh, end in entering religious life because although the school provides this environment and the knowledge and the experience of God through various uh, religious activities, if the family is not um, supportive, if the family values are not in line with um, the values the Catholic uh, school tries to instill in them, then that seed is a little bit harder to grow. It takes time. So what are some concrete examples that parents can do to nurture that? Is there any like recommendations you have that parents should be doing that you see that they're not doing? So that they also, it's kind of a holistic kind of a approach. What can parents do? This is an invitation to all families, you know, I'm sure that all parents want their children to be happy, to be fulfilled, to to do that, that the Lord wants them to do and to be. So I will highly uh, encourage families to pray together, to make sure that you are continually telling your son, your daughter, that they're loved that the Lord made them and the Lord made them with a purpose and they have a specific vocation that they need to fulfill in which they are going to be happy and they have to think about it. And there has to be um, some time in their, in their life, in their family life. Yes. For family prayer, but also have the parents uh, take their children to 
to mass. They need to receive the sacraments, you know, that they need to go to, to the sacrament of, of um, penance, to reconciliation, to receive Jesus in the blessed sacrament, to have that um, instilling them so that they are able to hear God's call. They're able to hear God's voice and not only able to hear it, but to actually act upon it, look for ways, search to see if the Lord is calling them so they can have that generosity and that trust in God to answer. Because that's th their prayer life is going to give them the, the love of God that they need to respond to that love eventually, but they need to know him. Otherwise, it's going to be very hard to listen to him and to follow him. Before uh, we wrap up, I want to ask three short questions that I'm asking all my guests at the end of the interviews. Uh, the first is, what is one scripture, verse, or part of the Bible that really resonates with you and why? Mm -hmm. Well, actually, I have many. I, I have various ones that I really like, and they bring a lot of joy to, to my life. Uh, I will say that uh, John chapter one, verse 14, is one of my favorites. I think I just, I can just ponder that mystery of the incarnation, uh, because chapter, I mean, John chapter one, verse 14 talks about the word of my flesh and dwell among us. And I think that whole mystery of God becoming men to be with us, that closeness of God is just amazing, you know, and, and, and it's mind blowing to think of a love like that. And the word of my flesh is dwell among us. And if you think about it, us being a community of uh, a Eucharistic uh, spirituality, the Lord lives in the tabernacle, you know, God, Jesus lives there and just coming to him and into his presence, so close, so um, loving and compassionate is just beautiful. It's a beautiful mystery. I, I really, really love that. And I think I could just, um, I don't know, maybe write a thesis on, you know, on, on that basic uh, Bible passage. The second question is, what is one word or a couple of words that you would like God to use to describe you? <laughs> yes, I, I would say uh, I am very adventurous. Uh, I, and I like to take risks. I like to learn. I, I like to discover new things. And one example, you know, it's just when I was going to enter the convent, I was 17, almost 18, and I was asked to come to the U.S. And I'll say, yes, I just, I just was excited, excited that I was going to take a new risk, a new adventure, a new way of life with Christ. Is there anything we can help promote or you would like um, others to support uh, you or the um, sisters? Yes. Um, I will say to uh, all those who listen to us, uh, first to pray for vocations, to pray for, for your own if you haven't found yours yet, uh, to pray for the vocation of your children 
And if any of you is interested in becoming a sister or learning more about religious life, go to our website, usasjs.org, and you will find different um, videos and, and ideas and things how to go about discerning your vocation. So I will say also to families, please pray with your children, talk to them about their vocation, take them to mass, let them know about God's love and, and the beauty of serving others and giving our lives for love of God. Thank you, sister. Is there anything we missed or is there anything else you want to add? Yes. I think we covered everything. <laughs> I think we covered a lot of things. Thank you. This is, was a great opportunity. Again, I just want to reiterate that I am the vocations directress for the province of the Immaculate Conception with the Sister Servants of the Blessed Sacrament. You can find my contact information on the website. And if anyone is interested uh, in learning more, please contact me. I'll be happy to help you out. Currently, we are, we are on a session right now for learning religious life. So join us. We'll be happy to have you. Thank you, Sister Katia, for your time. And thank you for tuning in today. We hope you were inspired by this conversation. And please check out the Sister Servants of the Blessed Sacrament website at usasjs.org for more information. We hope you keep tuning in for other episodes and please share this podcast with others. God bless us all.